You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Ahmed Manawar. So excited today to bring you this conversation with Liston Witherell. Liston is someone I've really gotten to know quite well over the past few weeks and months. And he's got a great perspective on what it takes to sell a consulting or professional service. It's really unlike selling anything else. And in this interview, Liston presents a number of key mindset shifts that you need to embrace to get better at selling your services. Show notes in this episode are at forecast.fm slash Liston. That's forecast.fm slash L-I-S-T-O-N. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free crash course on lead generation for professional services firms, you don't want to check that out. Inside the course, I will show you a step-by-step framework that you can use to generate a flood of new leads for your services. The course is 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access by heading over to 5leadgen.com. You can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. With that, here is Liston Witherell. Liston, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. You know, funny fact, uh, when we had our last conversation about a month ago and we talked about doing a mastermind and stuff, I was so thrilled by our conversation. I went on my daily podcast and did an episode about it. I did not know that. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to have to go listen. Well, you know what? It hasn't released yet. I'm like three weeks ahead of time on my daily podcast. So it's coming up soon. But uh, suffice to say... I love talking to you. Had a great time the first time, which is actually our second time. And I'm looking forward to this one as well. Awesome. Me too. And um, I have to say, I do a daily blog and I am uh, slightly scared to hear that you do a daily podcast because it's, it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, I just started. So I'm at the time of this recording, I'm, oh, I say 26, 27 episodes in. This okay. actually airs in a few months. So by then I'll be well over 100. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's not as bad as uh, it sounds because it's very it's very raw. It's very unfiltered. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, like like I did an interview right before yours, and I just hopped on for five minutes and recorded a quick lesson that I learned from that interview. So I it's see. not it's not as polished as this show is. It's more kind of like here's what I'm doing every single day. Here's what I'm learning. I'd love for you to listen. I love that. And a hundred is a major milestone. I think I'm up to something like 130 or 140 consecutive daily blog posts. And, uh, it feels like a real accomplishment, but my goal is 10,000 consecutive. So approximately 30 years until I hit that. Wow. Okay. So let's, let's just talk about that for a minute since we went there. Okay. Um, sure. So, you know, doing something every single day, uh, easier said than done. What's been the biggest challenge for you in sticking with that? Oh boy, that's a good question. I actually have two posts on this as part of my like kind of lessons learned, but um, I think one of the biggest challenges is getting over the the whole I, I don't feel like I have anything to share kind of feeling, which usually is code for I don't really want to do this, right? <laughs> because yeah. Um, in order to have something good to share, I need to sit down and just think for maybe five or 10 minutes or 20 minutes until my brain hurts. 
But usually what I find is the longer I do it, I just kind of reflect on what's happened in the last 24 hours or what's something that I had a long, longish conversation with someone else about. And 100% of the time, that's good fodder to share through my daily blog. So I, I think one of the challenges is kind of getting over the whole, I guess some people call it imposter syndrome. I, I would say it's more like a lack of confidence in the fact that I have something good to share. Um, but it's also forced me to continue to collect ideas, right? I'm always on the lookout now for what's interesting. What can I share with people? What will help others who read my daily blog? Because uh, this is the strangest thing, Ahmad. I occasionally get fan mail from people now. And I had one guy say, I only subscribe to two blogs, yours and Seth Godin's. Oh, wow. Like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and, and I asked him about it and he goes, no, I'm not like I'm not blowing steam because that's exactly how I felt like, are you blowing smoke? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm not. He goes, I think you, your content is as valuable as his. I was like, well, that's the best compliment I wow. could have ever asked for. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's actually it's, it's a great compliment. It's not that far fetched. Because, you know, Seth Godin is this, this just giant of a figure who has this broad kind of mass market appeal. And everybody gets something from what Seth talks about because he talks at a very principled level, right? Yes. But for the right person, Liston can be just as valuable because Liston's dialed in. Liston is specific. Liston, you know, has a particular value proposition that may be relevant to, to John, you know, or Joe right. more than Seth is. Right. So that's, I mean, I'm, it's a great compliment. I'm also not that surprised to hear it. I can see that. Well, that's very kind of you too. Um, and for all the listeners, I did not put a mod up to saying that. So <laughs> thank you for saying it. I, you know, I think also there's an important lesson there, which is if you show up every day for a long time, um, and of course you need talent and skill and continuous improvement, but if you continue to show up, good things do happen. And that's been one of the biggest lessons of this blog and, and a LinkedIn experiment I'm doing where I've posted a video twice a week. I'm now on the fifth week. Um, and just the, the feedback I've gotten is tremendous. I mean, it, it's just amazing because um, it's it shown me the, the value of just showing up. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I feel the exact same way about my daily show. I think the thing is, if you're a busy professional, and most of us are, there's all these learning moments that happen throughout the day. And, you know, if you're not too deliberate about it, you just, they happen and you forget about them. But when you're in this kind of production mindset, you've got a daily blog or a daily email list or a daily podcast, or even some people do daily LinkedIn status updates, which is great, right? When you're in that mode, you're going to start looking for things to share. Mm -hmm. and, and then what happens is you become more deliberate about those experiences and you end up learning more because you've got to share them now. And, and that's a great way to, to cement your learning. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Um, yeah, it, it just changes the way you think about it. And I'd also be curious to hear your feedback on this. I mean, you know, when I've embarked on a content program in the past, it has not always been successful. But when you think about doing something every day, it changes from you know, initially you kind of go, oh, I can't do a daily blog or I can't do a daily podcast to how can I do a daily blog? Like what conditions would need to be present for me to execute this? Like it, was that part of your 
decision framework is to figure out a process that would be easy to repeat. And you talked about it being more raw. Like, was that part of what went into how you designed it? Oh, 100%. So I would say 30 to 40% of maybe even pushing 50%, but definitely 30 to 40% of my episodes are recorded from the car. And I've got okay. a little lapel microphone and I do it in the car because when push comes to shove, if I don't have time, well, I drive you know, a few times a week. Right. Uh, so that's time that I have that I'm not doing anything else. I usually listen to podcasts. I could record an episode and it takes five minutes. So, yeah, I think boiling it down to a really simple process and I've got people that do the editing for me and do the uploading. So once I record, I'm pretty much done uh, boiling it down to a simple process that you can consistently execute. We're talking about daily for most people. That's, you know, crazy. So even if it's weekly. Right. But keeping the process really, really simple in the beginning to get the habit formation going, that's critical. And then once it's there, it becomes a lot easier. And uh, just for clarity also, I don't want to give people the impression that I'm recommending only doing a daily content marketing strategy. That's definitely not my recommendation, but I think there are tremendous benefits to it. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, now that that's out of the way, tell us who you are and what you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who the hell am I anyway? So my name is Liston Witherell. Um, I have a website, Liston.io, like everybody else in the uh, internet sphere. Um, And what I do is I help consultants and agency owners sell with confidence. What that means is I help people understand uh, how to have more effective sales conversations, what sort of process should they follow, what skills do they need, and what knowledge gaps do they have so that they can build a thriving sales practice. Now, That's not to say your job is to be a salesperson. That's not it at all. Sales is a behavior, but it is a behavior that's required for you to eat every month. And I think a lot of people, as they embark on their consulting or or agency practices, will often have a few whale clients or they'll leave an agency and they have a few clients that they took from there and they start to see something happen, which is a story that's been told a million times, either they get, you know, the budgets get shifted or the person who used to hire them left and they're now not at a company that can hire them anymore. Whatever the case, the work starts to dry up a little bit and these consultants and agency owners realize they no longer have control and they no longer um, are in a position where the work's going to come in and they haven't built anything proactive. And that's exactly the kind of position uh, where I can help people. So that's what I do. Love that. So we're going to come back to this idea of being proactive and being in control. But I want to I want to just ask you a question about a statement you made there. It intrigued me. Sales is a behavior. What do you yeah. mean by that? Great question. So it's interesting. If you ask people, you know, what what kind of images or words get conjured when you think of salespeople? Uh, Dan Pink did this in his book, to sell as human. And it came up with this word graph and you're seeing things like yuck, gross, manipulative, you know, basically this kind of, uh, archetype of the uh, used car salesman. And that in that way, a lot of people think of sales as an identity. It's a type of person and it's not right. Because as a business owner, you know this, Ahmad, as a business owner, you're in a position where you're having to sell continuously, whether it's directly for a deal, 
whether it's for me to convince you, Ahmad, to join my mastermind, right? Am I worth your time and your energy? Um, whether it's for me to be on your podcast, like all these different things are little miniature sales along the way. And the ones that we tend to focus on are the sales that actually culminate in revenue. And of course those are important, but the bigger point here is selling is a behavior that we repeat over and over and over again. And we tend to limit it to discussions that involve a money transaction. And when we do that, we think of salespeople as an identity with all of these negative connotations. So what I would like to share with the world is this idea that selling is just a behavior that is a requirement in your business, no matter what your business is. And so if you can start to adopt that mindset, you can let go of all of that baggage that you have around selling because it's simply not true. Certainly there have been times when anybody has bought something and they went, wow, that was a great experience. That person listened to me. They knew what I needed. They gave me what I wanted at the end of the day. I feel taken care of and I feel like this is going to be better for me and my business. And that's exactly the kind of salesperson uh, I want everybody who works with me to be. Yeah, that makes sense. And the reality is, even when you are selling to a client, it's only the very final hurdle in that sales process that involves money. Everything before that, had, there's no money changing hands, right? You're selling them on the fact that they have a problem they need to solve. You're selling them on a particular approach. You're selling them on why now is the time. I mean, none of these involve money exchanging hands, but they're all part of the sales process. That's exactly right. And yet early on, I think it's hard for people to ignore the money because they're already kind of counting the money early on. <laughs> they're going, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be a $20,000 project and it's going to solve all my problems. The problem with that, of course, is that whole mindset is about you and it should really be about the person um, on the other end of the phone. And is that kind of, is that really where we go wrong? Is that is that the one issue in your mind where pe people have this, this, uh, this stigma against selling, but it seems to me like maybe they're just worrying too much about themselves and not enough about the clients that they serve. Yeah. I mean, so on my about page on my website, I have, uh, my five rules of selling and rule number one is serve, don't sell. Um, which seems counterintuitive, but I think the big idea is, you know, the goal of every sales call is not to culminate in a sale. It's to actually help the person. It's to make them better off right? That's why they would pay you any amount of money anyway. And so sometimes the way to help them is to tell them, you know what? I don't think you're going to be a fit for me. And here's why. And here's what I think you should do instead based on my experience. And if you go in with that kind of mindset, it absolutely reduces the pressure. Not only that, it feels a lot better because you're actually doing something in the interest of the other person. And that's you know, that that's going to change your whole relationship to what it means to sell. It's funny. People are always taken aback when I have a quote unquote sales conversation and, and they ask me in the, in the early part of the conversation, so how can you help us? And I say, well, I don't know. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's the right answer, by the way. And they're like, what, what do you mean you don't know? I'm like, well, I don't know anything about what you're doing or what your challenge, what your challenges are, what you're struggling with, what your problems are. Let's talk about that first. And then maybe right. I'll be able to help you. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, that is a big problem. I, I would say probably the number one problem in selling though, is that people want to go out and pitch and just volunteer, you know, vomit up their standard pitch and their standard information. 
And really what you should be doing in a sales process is listening, like you're saying. So you're going to figure out what's going on with this person. What can I do to help them, if anything? Um, and then if I identify something, I'll talk about that. But otherwise, I have no business talking. And that's that's precisely the challenge, right? Is when you go in thinking about the sale, then while the client's talking, you're thinking about what you're going to say next. <laughs> right. You're like, oh, no, I know what objection's coming up, and I'm going to have to just bat this down, right? And that's it's not the right way to do it. So listen, I want to jump into a, a very common challenge that everybody faces, right? You're a business owner, consulting firm owner, agency owner. You got to, you got to, you know, kind of toe the line between bringing in new clients and marketing and biz dev and then serving those clients. And we all get busy. And when we get busy, the first thing to go out the window is marketing and business development. Sure. And then when the work dries up and client engagements come to an end and we find ourselves with time on our hands, uh, but no pipeline to serve. Yep. What do we do when that happens? So first of all, typically it's a little too late by that point, right? You're not going to be able to find a deal in the next week or two. In most cases, it depends on what you do, but, um, in most cases it's a little bit too late. Um, couple things that I'd like to note here. So I'm not just the bearer of bad news. One thing you should start thinking about if you're so busy that you have no time to do any marketing or proactive selling, um, while you have clients is you should start thinking about maybe charging more. Now, um, this sounds a lot easier said than done like daily blogging or daily podcasting, but the purpose of this is it allows you to be a better, more proactive, more full business owner. If you charge more, you're going to have to work a little bit less, but also you will have time to allocate to your marketing and selling activities. Okay. So that's number one. Let's, th that's the advice to try to prevent this from coming up because it's, you know, I always think about studying. Um, I went to school for a long time, Ahmad. Um, I got a master's degree and I spent a lot of time studying for tests and writing papers. And what I found and the research supports this is it's so much better to study one hour a day for eight days than to study eight hours the day before the test, right? You're going to just soak it all in. It's, it's going to be much more valuable. That certainly wasn't my strategy in school, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been there too. Um, and you know, same thing with marketing and selling. It's not about remembering stuff, obviously, or passing the test, but a small amount of effort on a very frequent, um, cadence on a daily or weekly cadence, you're doing two, five, 10. Ideally, if you're the owner of a business, you want to dedicate a third to half of your time to marketing and selling. Um, you know, if you continue to do that, the benefits are going to be enormous, right? Um, and so that's a much better strategy than to put your own business in the boom and bust cycle of only marketing and selling when you absolutely need it because, again, it's too late by then. But let's say you get in that scenario because I know uh, a lot of people do get there and obviously absolutely no shame in it. Lots of people get there. I've been there many times myself. And the first thing you should really do is if you haven't done a good job of maintaining, maintaining relationships with your concentric circles. So think about, you know, a small circle in the middle and we have circles around it getting bigger and bigger away from that bullseye. 
in the bullseye, we would have our current clients, right? What are we doing for them already? Um, and is there any additional value we can bring to them? So that's a number one. If I can go to my existing clients and expand that relationship while really giving them more and helping them achieve either more of the goals that they want today or maybe surface new goals and problems that they didn't even know they had, that would be probably the fastest way to get more projects in the door. The second group of people are your past clients. So you've done work with them already. They trust you. Let's just assume you have a good relationship and they like you. Um, what can you do to go back to them and maybe show them a new service that you have? Um, show them that you know, you've done a new project that you talked about with them before, but they never pulled the trigger on and you have a case study that you can share. Hey, we did it for this client who's just like you, right? So current clients, existing clients, and then I am huge on developing marketing partnerships. So, you know, Ahmad, you and me, we would be marketing partners, right? So if I talk to someone who's not a fit for me, but they need your kind of help, I'd be happy to refer them to you and vice versa. And the more of these types of people you can collect in your life and really give to first and foremost, the more likely you are to get some of those um, referrals coming in your way. But you also have to be proactive. It's not, I'm going to talk to someone one time and then just expect leads to show up on my door. As you know, it doesn't really work that way. Um, but that would be the third concentric circle. And then we have friends and family. So really the big idea here is you have, this is the analogy I like to give Thanksgiving, my favorite American holiday. And it's my favorite holiday because there's no pressure of gifts. It's all about getting a bunch of food, cooking it together with your family, sitting down, enjoying a meal and just being together. There's none of this artifice of like, you know, pressure to get someone a, a good enough gift that they're going to enjoy and spend enough and all that. Well, you spend all day cooking this meal and then what happens? You don't eat it all. The rest of the meal goes into the refrigerator. You have leftovers. At the time you made this meal, it was the most extravagant, biggest meal that you made all year, right? Most families won't cook like this at any other point. The next day you have a week worth of leftovers. Now, a lot of people let those leftovers spoil. Same thing in your business. You spend all this time acquiring clients, tons and tons of time acquiring clients for the first project. And yet you stick them in the refrigerator and you totally forget about them. You've spent all this time developing your network, developing your clients, nurturing referral partners and marketing partners. And you, we tend to forget about them, but when the time comes when you need projects in the fastest order possible, this is going to be the best place to turn. I love the analogy and it's, it's making me think about relationships to draw another analogy. These, these relationships are like an asset, They're like an asset on your balance sheet. I used to be a yes. CPA, so I can't help but think in terms of numbers and balance sheets. That's and okay, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an asset, right? And you know, your accountant's probably not going to agree to the valuation, but uh, intangibly, there's an asset there. And if you don't nurture that asset, if you don't nurture those relationships, then it's going to slowly deplete over time. But if you nurture it, you can add to it and grow it. Exactly. Yeah, there's a shelf life, right? 
Um, and so I, I think where the analogy falls apart to your point is if you nurture those relationships, um, they continue to grow and flourish. And that is something that you should be doing. And it's not hard to set that up in a CRM because, you know, I'm a, um, I write a lot about cognitive biases and the deficiencies of the human brain, which mine is full of, um, and, you know, the thing a CRM will help you do is not have to remember. You can set up tier one, two, three, four contacts and just have a repeating schedule of being in touch with them monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, annually. And that'll help you continue to nurture, at least at a very, very low level, a minimum amount of marketing and selling. So let, let's get into the weeds there a little bit. So what I'm hearing from you is four concentric circles, current clients, past clients, marketing partnerships, and then friends and family. Is that right? Yep. Yep. W what am I doing in my CRM? Am I setting up like a pipeline for each of these? Um, well, it depends on your CRM. Boy, that's a big topic. Um, I, I really uh, like high-rise because of how simple it is. Um, it has lots of problems. And uh, my take on every piece of software is I choose the one that I hate the least. Um, so I really like high rise and the nice thing about it is it has a tagging system. So I tag my contacts, right? Current client, past client, marketing partner. So you, you would be tagged as a marketing partner in there. Um, and then it also has recurring tasks, which are an amazing feature. And so I can go in and just say, okay, a mod's a marketing partner. I want to be in contact with my marketing partners quarterly. And so I'll set up just a task that says follow up with a mod and I'll have it repeat every three months. And so when I log into high rise every morning, um, there's, um, an area in high rise that are just tasks and I go in and I do everything it tells me to do. And I do that every day. And what's how simple is that? No, I mean, that's <laughs> simple. I mean, at a, at a task level, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. What's the, what's the, the ideal cadence? Cause you mentioned monthly, quarterly, annually, like how do I decide how often to follow up or to touch base with a different type of prospect? Well, certainly for your current clients, you should be in contact at least monthly. I mean, chances are you're going to be in contact with them daily or weekly, right? Um, so for instance, I have an advisory client and he, he only pays for my advice which basically means I get emails from him where he asks my opinion or feedback and I respond. Um, you know, it makes sense for me to check in with him monthly since we're not on the phone a lot and just ask like, how's it going? Anything else I can help you with? Have your priorities changed? Um, any new projects coming up that we should talk about now? Now, a conversation like that will give me a ton of insight about him and his company and, and what they're working on. Um, for your past clients, I would say every three months. And, you know, the next obvious question is, well, what do I say? Right? So we don't want to go to them and say, hey, just checking in. Remember me? I'm alive. That's not the kind of thing we want to do. We want to, I hate to use this term, but deliver some sort of value. Right? So here's another side benefit of, you know, having a content program is Ahmad, you know, this, 
whenever you record a podcast, you probably do it with someone in mind or some type of person. And if it's a quarterly check-in time, you can just send, hey, I recorded this podcast recently. I was thinking about one of our previous conversations, and I thought this would be useful. Right? That well, that's a, that's a great idea. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> yeah, and I do that all the time. So, like, if I'm on the phone with someone and, you know, I've been writing long enough now where I'm already starting to feel like, you know, at least three times a day something comes up and I'm like, yeah, I wrote about that. I'll send you the article. Um, and so I continue to do that as a touch point, but also, you know, it's, it's helpful to them. So current clients, definitely monthly, you want to be in touch with them. And this isn't just talking to them about anything. This is talking to them about their business. And if you would be, if there's anything you can do to continue to help them in a greater way and then past clients every three months, um, you know, friends and family, I'd say less, that's more of kind of a one-time thing. You're going to sift through who are the five or 10 people who you can continue to talk to on a regular basis because there's some sort of business fit there. Um, and so you'd probably only talk to them every six to 12 months. Um, and then your marketing partners, I would say at least quarterly because those, those relationships are very dynamic. Things are changing with them. Things are changing with you. Um, you're going to want to see what you can do to continue to collaborate and give them something. And often one of the tools that I would use here is, um, introductions and referrals. I'm really big on making introductions. The more you can do that, it's huge because the person, the two people on the receiving end of the introduction, um, you know, really it gives a lot of social capital to everybody involved. And that's a great, great thing to do. So I'm huge on that. Yeah. So I want to dive a little bit more into the, into the marketing partnerships bucket. Uh, and what I'm hearing from you is a great way to add value first in that relationship is by making introductions, right. And giving them, you know, you opening up your network to them before you ask for anything in return. Where do these relationships typically go? Like what do you, what should you expect them to evolve into from there? Um, yeah, actually, um, just for clarity, I don't recommend what you just said. Um, and, and so what you said, um, that I don't recommend is just sort of having this loose relationship and I'm going to introduce people to you. I mean, it obviously it depends on the level of the person. So if I want a marketing partnership with, um, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I read a book recently called, I think entrepreneurial you by Dory Clark, multiple bestselling author. Um, I had never heard of her, but she has something like 50,000 people on her email list. Right. So for her, I'm not going to go to her and, and like give her some hard pitch about myself because you know, it's going to take some time to develop a relationship with her. So she was featured in one of my articles. I added her on LinkedIn. I let her know about that. Um, and like kind of the longer term thing that I would want with Dory is someone who is slightly ahead of me, could maybe review a book when I write a book, um, could maybe give me some advice and maybe be in a position to refer me some business. Like that would be great. Right. Um, but for her, I'm going to move much more slowly for most marketing partnerships. I just go straight to them and say, Hey, I have this idea. You have this kind of audience and I think I can help them. Here's how I will help them. And here's how it would, will help you. What do you think? And often when I do that kind of outreach, 
um, I'm focused so much on the person, the, my, my potential marketing partner and their audience that they go, well, what's in it for you? And then I'm like, okay, great question. Right? Like now that's a good sign because they're interested. I've caught their attention. And then I'll tell them, well, what's in it for me is, you know, I get to spread my message to people who could potentially buy from me. Like, what do you think about that? Right. So your, your criteria here, then what I'm, what I'm learning is your criteria is you want to be talking to the people that have the audience that you have, but maybe aren't direct competitors with you. Exactly. You nailed it. Got it. What about competitors though? Would you go, would you go to a competitor with an offer like this? Um, yeah, I think I would. Um, I, I think with, with a competitor, I think I'd probably be looking more at referrals because they wouldn't want to put me in front of their audience and, and vice versa. Right. I wouldn't really want to put them in front of my audience, but chances are that they'll get leads and I'll get leads that either I don't want to work with, or, you know, I'm too busy right now, or the timing's just bad or whatever, where we might be able to refer each other business. I mean, it's a big world out there. There are way more people in this world than I could ever service on my own. Um, and that's true of all my competitors too. So, you know, I believe there could be something good there potentially, um, if you find the right people, obviously you're going to want to be aligned and probably actually like the person because that'll kind of help, help you keep the relationship alive and want to keep the relationship alive. Yeah. I mean, I found that if, if you both have kind of an abundance mindset, then it can really, really work because if, if you are of the worldview that there are so many people out there to help and I can't possibly reach all of them, therefore I might as well build a relationship with this other guy or girl who does the same work, but maybe they, you know, they serve a particular niche or they have a particular approach that resonates with certain kinds of people. Exactly. Yes. I totally agree with you. And, uh, I think abundance mindset is huge. Um, so basically, you know, there's, there's more out there than I could ever do. And also we're all better off when we exchange and work together. Um, so, you know, uh, people who want to put tariffs on steel probably are not going to be your ideal partner, but, um, uh, you know, people who do believe that there's, um, we can make the pie bigger when we work together. That's going to be a potential partner, even if it's a competitor. Yeah. And not everyone's like that. Some people are a little bit more, you know, an eye for an eye. And, um, once you find those folks, you, you move on to the next one. But I think most, most people, if they've been in business for long enough, I found at least, um, they've learned, even if it's the hard way, <laughs> they've learned that collaboration, um, beats competition. Exactly. Excellent. So listen, I want to talk a little bit now about habits, because I think everything you've said so far makes a lot of sense, right? You, these four levels, these four concentric circles of relationships, put them in your CRM, have a, a specific follow-up and engagement routine for each type of contact. It all sounds fine and good, but what's the key to actually sticking to this and doing the work consistently? Um. Wow. Okay. Another big question, Ahmad, man, you're, you're full of these huge <laughs> questions today. Um, so I, I would say the, the number one thing that I would really recommend is to set 
a goal that's achievable and that you can stick to. You want it to be a stretch in the sense that it's more than you're doing now, but it's not so much that it feels difficult to maintain. And then over time you add to it. So I'll give you an example. Pretty much every day I spend an hour prospecting on LinkedIn and chatting with people on LinkedIn. And I also spend about 30 minutes or so, depending on how crowded my CRM is going through and maintaining relationships in my CRM. Um, initially though, you know, I'd spend maybe I go, go in once a week and just look at my pipeline. Who are all the people in various deal stages that I need to contact? And you know, if the deal's hot, then I'm going to spend more time on those people and contact them more often versus if the deal's kind of dormant or potentially lost. Um, but you know, it's kind of like BJ Fogg's floss, uh, floss one tooth thing, or he talks about how he wanted to, I think do maybe a hundred pushups a day. And so he said, okay, here's how I'm going to start. Every time I go to the bathroom or no, he said, every time I flush a toilet, I'm going to get down and do one pushup. Right. And that's how he started. So he had a trigger. Um, I flush a toilet. And then he had an action associated with it. I do one push up. So I think that's a really, that's, that's the model of how habits are built. Um, and so for most people, if you're in the stage of building the habit in the first place, maybe it's first thing in the morning. I know I hate going through my CRM and contacting people. I'm going to spend 20 minutes in there every day, even if I do nothing. I'm just going to have that up on my screen and I'm going to send emails, make phone calls, whatever I have to do in order to get to my 20 minutes and then I'll move on. And if you continue to do that, even if it's five minutes or 10 minutes, if you continue to do that, you'll start to see the value accrue and you'll start to layer in more complexity and, and more, um, uh, more action in order to really maximize your habit. Yeah, I think it's great advice. Uh, frankly, I struggle with this. So I've got an hour on my calendar booked every morning. Uh, I call it the pipeline hour. And um, I'm supposed to be working my pipeline. <laughs> well, what hour. do you actually do is a question. Uh, everything else. <laughs> everything everything but that. Uh-huh. And I think the, ch the challenge is that it, I have many places to hide. And I think everyone does, right? I have my own. Uh, my my places to hide are podcasting, my daily yeah. show, this show. Um, my places to hide are on LinkedIn. Uh, I got lots of places to hide, right? So there's there's no shortage of other things I could be doing that are much more immediately rewarding to me than working my pipeline. So that's that's the real challenge for me is actually having the discipline to stick to that. And I think it's part of that is it's a personality thing. Some people find it easier and more more rewarding than others. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess, um, you know, there are other things you can do, like um, remind yourself what it feels like to have no leads coming in and <laughs> and the panic that ensues, right? So that's a negative emotion that you can conjure. Um, you can also think about the positive side, like, you know, what is the likely effect of me putting in concerted regular effort into something that I know would reduce my stress level and make my business a lot better. Um, whatever it is, you know, one of the things I do on a weekly basis is I have a five-year goal plan. Um, so I go from five years to one year to quarterly. 
And I review that every week. And that kind of helps me stay grounded in like, okay, I'm hitting, you know, what Seth Godin calls the dip, the part where it starts to feel like things just aren't happening. I want things to be faster. But if I go through and collect the evidence, wow, I'm way better off now than I was two months ago. And so having some sort of check-in that goes from bigger picture to today, I think is also really helpful for me personally, because you're right. I mean, no one's sitting there and going, boy, you know what I'd really love to do is um, go through my last 14 tasks that are sitting in my CRM that I've been putting off for two months, right? No one's excited about that, but there is definitely a lot of reward to doing this on a regular basis and knowing that you're doing the things and the putting in the effort you need in order to give yourself the best shot at achieving your goals. Yeah, I think your advice about starting small is critical. I mean, whether it's, uh, I, think, I think it's important to focus on the activity, right? Not so much the outcome or the end, because you can't control the outcome. You can control the activity. So if right. it's like you said, 20 minutes a day, that's a nice kind of hard way to measure it. You, you've got a clear goal, put in 20 minutes a day. Doesn't matter if you send five emails or 20 emails or 10 LinkedIn messages, put in your 20 minutes. Over time, you'll become more effective in those 20 minutes. Or whether it's, you know, having a target. If, if you know, if you've got things kind of really buttoned down and you know that if you send X number of messages out per day, you will generate Y conversations, then give yourself a target and send out those many messages. And then when you do that, maybe you reward yourself. Maybe there's some kind of a, some kind of a treat for you at the end of the day. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's kind of what I would say is, you know, I, I again wrote about this recently. Um, you know, if you're in a position where you're saying I need to, you know, uh, score four more clients a year, um, well, then I would ask, okay, well, how many opportunities do you need to land a new client? And then how many leads do you need to land a new opportunity? Um, how many contacts do you need to get a qualified lead? Okay, now we know uh, all I have to do is reach out to three new people every day and I'm golden, right? Um, I know that I'm on the track to win. So I totally agree with you. It's not about focusing on the end result and every top performing athlete does this. They focus on repetition. One of the stories I love to tell is from, um, John Wooden's book. So he, he's known as maybe the greatest college basketball coach ever to live. And, you know, he recruits the best players in the whole world, uh, or at least in the United States. Um, and they come to UCLA and on the first day of practice, he goes, okay, uh, we're all going to sit down and we're going to talk about how to put on our socks. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell is this about? Right. And so he talks about like, here's how you roll your sock. Here's how you slip it on your foot. Here's how you pull the sock up. And the point he was making is the details in the process are what are going to determine the likelihood of us getting the outcomes we want, right? It's not about training to win the championship, quote unquote. It's about doing the things that would put us in a position to win the championship. And that's exactly how you should think about your sales. Yeah, I love that. Listen, listen, we could do this all day. Um, we, we should. Could. We should at some point. <laughs> Um, but I do want to be respectful of your time. So thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing this with us. Where can folks uh, look you up if they want to learn more from you? 
Yeah. So best thing to do is to, you can head over to my website, liston.io. Um, and if you want more advice on how to sell effectively, I do have a free video course. Um, and you can just go to www.salesin30.com. That's sales, S-A-L-E-S-I-N and the number three and the number zero.com. Love it. I've been following the video course on LinkedIn. It's, it's incredible. I highly recommend folks check that out and we'll drop links to that and LinkedIn's website over in the show notes. Listen, thank you so much again. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.